This is the Evolution Exchange podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today I'm your host. Okay, and welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. So today I'm joined by Christian, who's the CEO and founder of Growplay Digital. Ollie, who was the ex-product head of product at Skidos, Krista, who's the head of game programming at Future Games, and Peter, who's the ex-game uh, lead game designer at Dragonbox. And today we're going to be discussing the topic all about the future of children's education in tech, uh, specifically around you know the the gaming industry uh, and gaming companies and what that future looks like for children's education in tech. So a really important topic and uh, a really interesting one for us to dive into. Before we do get into our questions, though, let's work our way around the room and do some introductions. So, Christian, please, could you just give us your introduction? Sure, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so I'm Christian uh, Lundquist. I'm uh, the CEO and co-founder of Growplay, a uh, game studio in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, we started off uh, uh, 10 years ago, more or less, uh, you know, at the dawn of, of the iPads and uh, kids uh, exploring and finding the magic direct interface with, with technology. So we uh, we uh, start working uh, uh, with uh, like game and edutainment development for kids and families. And we also have a social mission. We want to drive social issues and bring them up in in the in a playful experience, um, uh, which is about basically uh, mixing fun with with learning and also bring up some serious topics like, you know, environmental topics and stuff in a way that, uh, you know, could be could be uh, played around and talked about without, you know, uh, creating too much much anxiety. Uh, on the contrary, uh, rather empower kids um, and you know get get to know the the topics. So um, we've been around for for uh, ten years. We started off with consumer games and apps, and we're now also moving into business to business, supporting schools and preschools, and also um, well other kind of educational. Uh, purposes uh, with game game development, uh, not really gamification, but rather game, you know, ga game development, proper game de development. So uh, happy to be here and uh, talk more about this. Perfect. Thank you very much. All right, we'll go to Ollie next then. Uh, to please give us your introduction. Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Ollie uh, Ivanov, and um, I'm ex head of product in Skidos. Now I'm in uh, in corporate e-learning and LXP systems. Um, I worked with children first as educationalist and teacher for 12 years. And then I started my own company in 96 doing uh, CD-ROM games, if anybody can remember those those damn things, uh, just after the discs. And did uh, around 20 games in that, in, in our own brand, and tried to do educational learning and it, what it was termed edutainment uh, at that time. And, um, and it's very, very interesting to see how it has evolved and at the same time, not evolved that much, um, but uh, but I'm I'm really like learning is all my life and passing that on and using it di digitally. Thank you very much, Holly. Uh, we'll go to Krista next, then, please, if you could give us your introduction. Absolutely. My name is Krista, and thank you for inviting me, Andrew. Uh, I've been working in the game education field for almost 15 years now, working at universities and upper secondary school. 
And right now I work at a vocational school, uh, Future Games. Uh, so we work mainly with adults uh, and we work closely together with the industry to help people come out and have a career, not only get a job, but actually survive in the games industry. Uh, and we also have a, a, a big focus on diversity, bringing people together with different backgrounds because the game industry is very global and filled with all types of people. Uh, so we try to bring them together, teach them uh, the, the skills that the industry needs, but also how to be a good colleague and work together. I would say that's our main focus. Nice. Thank you, Krista. Uh, and Peter, we'll come to you last. Um, please, could you give us your introduction? Uh, thank you for having me. I'm Peter Rocchio, and uh, I'm uh, I come from more traditional games background, and I've been a game designer for uh, 16 years or so, so for quite a while, uh, and recently got into the um, education in games sort of uh, sector. And, I, and what I wanted to take was my sort of game design expertise from uh, more traditional games where we often had sort of bigger budgets and had more places to experiment and we could learn a bit more about um, what we could use. And I thought that was very valuable uh, to take into um, more like educational uh, games, which which are which need that kind of help. Like often they're 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 underutilized and under budgeted. And I thought like, OK, if I can take some of what I've learned about making games efficiently and well and uh, also I'm a pretty new father. So I was like and Dragonbox enabled me to sort of like understand like how kids learn better and what I liked about it too was that it's more about capturing the intrinsic desire of children to learn like their their natural curiosity and their natural uh, inclination to explore and discover and it's something I just I saw with my own two eyes like how <laughs> how 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 powerful it is and uh yeah and I I so I most recently worked at Dragonbox, and that's where, yeah, that, and that's what I brought there. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Uh, now we've got uh, established a good context for each of you. Uh, we'll jump in with our questions that you guys have brought for us today. So we're going to start off with Christian. If you could uh, give us your question and uh, give us a little bit of, uh, you know, context as to why you wanted to ask this today, and then we'll start working our way um, around the room. Yeah, I think. Uh... <clears throat> I mean, uh, since we started, the topic screen time has been, you know, brought up uh, uh, 10 million times. And uh, I mean, I have I have a pretty clear um, view on on the idea of screen time, which is not about actually, uh, you know, time. It's rather the content that, that kids spend uh consuming or playing with but parents are obviously really concerned and i'm a parent myself and and i i really think this is important however um i think that parents um might have first of all they might have uh, very different attitudes uh culturally from country to country but also depending on maybe social background um and uh, Etc. So, um, since we started working with business to business a few years ago, we we think that uh, we we think that we can see that parents start engaging more uh, um, in schools and having opinions about what to work with in schools and what to use in schools. Um, at the same time, we can also see a social difference between 
um, you know, engage educated, well-educated um, uh, parents engaging in this. On the other hand, we can see schools and uh, students from a different background where their parents don't engage uh, that much. So um, all this um, uh, brings us to think about the future of, of, of uh, education and parent involvement um since uh, learning will happen in school but also outside of school mm -hmm. so this is a pretty big question um uh, that i wanted to, to to talk to you about guys um how you think parent involvement and engagement will affect education in the future both like you know at home but but also in schools um it's, i know it's a super big question so but uh, please uh, dig in in any <laughs> any yeah, no, area it's a brilliant question to ask. So, uh, Krista, if you want to kick us off with the, your, your initial thoughts on uh, Christian's question, then. Yeah, uh, I think for, for a child to feel comfortable exploring the different options in life, uh, to have a parent supportive is key. I mean, if a child have to struggle against the parent and all the stresses of life and, and school, uh, that just adds to to a bad situation uh, and I remember like in my own youth when I like when I got into computers you know I spent way too much time uh, figuring things out and trying like learning programming on my own and my, my parents were kind of like conservative like okay is this a viable uh, time spent but then when they saw me growing up and, and making this into a career then they were on board so I mean uh, my uh, my strong headedness made me go through it all, but I wonder a lot of times if what uh, a child can do with the support of a parent. So I, I think it's actually key to be allowed to explore. Of course, we need to maybe, uh, I mean, parents need to guide the child and make sure they get to see a lot of different aspects of life, but also be supportive like, this is a viable option for you in the future if that is something you want to go into. And if it's not, that's fine as well. I mean, childhood is about exploring and playing and figuring things out, right? So I think parent involvement is key, definitely. Uh, we'll come to you, Peter. Obviously, um, you've, you've got uh, a young child yourself just recently. So uh, congratulations on that, by the way. But uh, Thank you. Let's, uh, let's hear your thoughts on that then. Uh, yeah. I. I've... I think uh, the key, like a lot of what tech does is we can use it like its power of engagement for good, and we can use the to like tools available, online tools that can give parents maybe like a lot of parents feel powerless, and that sort of they pull back from helping their kids. They maybe they don't understand things, maybe they are confused or maybe overwhelmed, and I, I like the idea of using. Uh, tech to really give them information about their child and about what they're learning, where they need help, uh, give them like very like actionable feedback about where and how they can uh, contribute to their child's education because things change, things are different. Well, I'm I'm not even from the country my child will grow up in, so I don't I will be a little lost when it comes to the like curriculum and what they learn and when. And having these tools available to me. I find would be really helpful and generating some sort of uh, autonomy so I can understand what they're doing. And then I can make maybe decisions for myself and for my child about what we should do and how we should, what we should engage with. 
uh, what kind of games maybe we'll play together, those those kinds of things. So having using the the tech driven sort of feedback loops that are available in many places, but sadly lacking education, I think that could really help parents and drive their engagement. Mm -hmm. Nice. Ollie, let's come to you then. Yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting. It's a really good question. I think the the engagement of the parents has been uh, a game changer for kids historically. Like if you had supportive parents, if you had parents that had either money or had intellect, or th then you just did well uh, academically. Uh, you can see that also now. What I hope tech can do is like for myself, I had a a strange upbringing, you could say. Sometimes it was really good in an abusive family. Sometimes it was really bad. But for all those kids that kind of overcome that, you have you meet someone who is a what you could call a significant other. It's not the parent. It could be a friend of the family. It could be a Boy Scout leader. It could be a teacher. And what I hope we can do with tech is we can we can make enable those significant others to cover more ground, so to speak. To, to help more children to to make it easier for kids that are not that lucky to have uh, a resourceful family or or where it is they can find validation for whatever interest it is like you want to be a youtuber oh my god that's never gonna work okay this guy makes 25 million dollars a month maybe that's okay anyway like there's so many new things coming up where they they can get validation from other sources than their parents and I think that that's super cool tech can do that. But I can also see, like you mentioned, uh, there will be a need to educate the parents because the the tech gap just grows. What what is new for the kids uh, is like if you're already a 40 year old parent, you're like gonna say, I don't understand this new virtual AR iPad. How does that work? I mean, you have to keep up as a parent. So so the stakes are gonna be higher for parents as well to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Go on, Christine. No, I, I'm just thinking because uh, you, you, we, we've come to the point that schools are very transparent. They have to be transparent, and um, uh, which which make it becomes uh, a clear division between engaged parents and not so engaged parents. And uh, it could also be so that parents who are not really happy with with the school. Uh, actually rely on consumer solutions like you know the, the Khan Academy track or some other new fast tracks that will come up with AI support and stuff which might even make school irrelevant for those parents and suddenly we've come to a situation where where we rely on private solutions if you may and I come from a Scandinavian country where you know the the the, the state is also uh, it sounds super totalitarian, but you know it's behind the the curriculum and supporting, uh, you know, uh, values and uh, teaching democracy and all that, which is not math and and you know, language and stuff. So, uh, do you have any ideas on this dystopian future or very happy future in this case? <laughs> any 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 suggestions? Who wants to go with that one? I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> let you decide. <laughs> Krista, uh, you're Swedish. <laughs> Are you as scared as me? <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Oh, sorry, Peter. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say I'm actually I'm an American and I live in Norway, so I have this kind of broad view of almost the two ends of the spectrum. 
Um, and it is a strange experience to sort of have to compare the two. Um, I, I've actually, like from, from my perspective, uh, Nordic countries at least have done, seem to do an excellent job of sort of maintaining that balance of um, democracy and authority and in a way that really includes a lot of people. So I, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm, I have a bit of the sort of immigrant like fervor for the place they've moved to because when you choose a place, you feel more invested in it in a lot of ways than when if you're if you're born there. I think mm, that's really interesting point. Go on, Krista. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I haven't, I don't have a lot of experience teaching kids, but I mean, uh, Switch Games we're currently uh, helping a project in Hamstad, uh, led by Donia Norman, uh, and he's trying to get young people into games and open up the possibilities and, and see if, if something can happen there. And a lot of the target group he's aiming for are uh, uh, immigrant kids with an immigrant background. And the work he has to do is actually not getting the kids engaged, but getting their parents on board. So a lot of the work he has to do is convincing the parents like, okay, this is viable because maybe when when you come from that background uh, and, and you move to Sweden and, and you are treated the way you are treated and you, and you're, you are in a other social economic bracket, uh, you have to kind of push them to see, okay, you have a lot of possibilities or a kid have a lot of possibilities that you didn't have. Uh, so you have to really work with parents. And I, I think as a teacher for these younger kids, I think part of their work is really also working with the parents and get them on, on, on board. Otherwise, like I said earlier, uh, the uphill battle for the kid will just grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a really good um, first question and first couple of points to kick us off on today. Anyway, um, Christian, I'll just come back to you before we move on to the next question. But, you know, just to, to wrap it up and uh, summarise, you know, from hearing from the other guests there and their points is have you taken something from that question like does you feel like they've answered it fair enough what are your thoughts yeah I, th- I think so and uh it's really great to hear uh you know uh, and, and to get learnings from from other cultures cultures i know in asia for instance for example you rely a lot on on extracurricular activities and you've done so for for a long time and uh i mean there's there might be good stuff in that as well, and I mean Singapore is is uh, is um, performing excellently in 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 uh, you know all the PISA um, results and all that. So so um, yeah, I think so. I think uh, um, I think uh, it seems like we all agree on that. Parent engagement is is key and is affecting learning, and it has to be addressed um, you know from different angles. Definitely. Thank you, guys. Brilliant. Okay, well, uh, go on then. Let's move on to our second question, which is going to come from Ollie. So, Ollie, I'll let you, um, you know, ask your second question of the day. Yeah, I just, uh, it kind of taps in what we just talked about, because what's going to be the future of public school or, or private school even? Because right now, in Denmark at least, where, where I am, it's like the last 20 years, it's been a, a journey towards more measuring and improving the PISA scores and doing all that. And then when I hear Krista talk today, it's like, okay, we want to teach these guys or girls to be uh, good teammates. So uh, in my last project, we, uh, Skeeters is trying to, to make a system to teach and, and spread 21st century skills. 
And and the job I have now is actually when when a big corporation gets employees, they they actually need to train them in 21st century skills to to handle like conflicts with customers, to be good teammates, to be proactive, to be all of that. And and it's not in the curriculum. It there's uh, geography and math and physics and German and and whatnot, and that's all very fine. But uh, if we fast forward technology now, the kids can learn that way faster and way more efficient with the use of technology. So there's no reason to spend nine years in public school to to learn the curriculum. What they can learn in school is all the other skills. So I would love to see a political or a, a, some consciousness in, in parents also that, hey, this is important. This is what they're going to need to have a happy life because the the half life of knowledge is is speeding up of of de- declining or what you say whatever you learn in university I think uh, it's ten years after you have to relearn a lot of stuff um, at least if you're engineering or so so what's going to happen to school eventually? Krista, let's come to you on that. Obviously, it's very relevant with uh, you know your position. Uh, did you say Krista? Uh, did you say Christian or Christian? Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I didn't know you said that. Yes, let's come to you. Yeah, great. Yeah, so I mean, uh, one of the things I see some teachers do is being content delivering, you know, uh, regurgitating these like, this is the capital of Sweden, this is the capital of blah. Uh, and I don't think that is what a teacher is supposed to do. And I, I think uh, a lot of the teachers, like when I was working at Udebild Skolan uh, here in Stockholm, uh, upper secondary school, uh, they did a great work at actually working with people. You know, uh, it's not as much about okay, you should know these facts, but for me, teaching is about teaching how to think and how to cooperate and how to explore and how to play. Uh, and I think a good teacher is more of a mentor than someone who delivers content. Uh, so I, I think, like Ole says, um, we, we need kind of a, a shift. And I think a lot of, of the great teachers we have already kind of do that, but it's kind of a, on the sideline, but because they're not really, to the full extent, allowed to, to, to do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I think we need to remove from seeing education as content and more like development of a individual. Interesting. Peter, let's come to you. I I largely agree with you guys about uh, content uh, delivery being not like the not the greatest way to do it. And there are uh, I'm not very familiar with them, but there are sort of uh, alternative educational systems like uh, Montessori that are more focused around that sort of um, life skills and cooperation and and that kind of stuff. Uh, th- this is very much outside my my expertise. Um, but I do want to say that sort of defend content delivery a little bit at least um, because there have been many times in my adult life and my like especially my working career where I was trying to solve a problem and I was like, oh, actually, I do kind of remember we covered something like this in school and there's a way to solve this problem that I don't remember. And I had to go look it up and relearn it. But the fact that I knew it existed in the first place was kind of important. Um, And it's hard to not know what you don't know. Uh, And I think there's still a role for for content delivery 
in that sort of with with that in mind at, at the very least so you'd say there'd be uh more room for it's like a balancing act yes uh that you're yeah. gonna say that about anything but but yeah 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 <laughs> but I, I do think there's value there yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i totally agree uh for, for me that's uh, uh adding tools to your tool belt uh it's about finding keywords you, you don't have to remember everything but you know kind of where to go uh, and for me that's part of learning how to uh, teach yourself because i think that is an essential skill as an adult because when you come out into an industry you know you might have great colleagues but they're going to be busy doing their things as well and sometimes they have time to help you sometimes they don't so you have to rely on your own ability to teach yourself and that is why content delivery uh, is important but i don't think it's the main focus uh, it's adding tools to your tool belt. Yeah. Nice. Uh, lastly, we'll come to you, Christian. Yeah, I think uh, you should be really, really careful with the time you have together as a group in school. So uh, I think content delivery, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you have to have you know, facts and, and and get get you know the facts straight and everything, but not necessarily in those precious moments you have together in school. So that's where you should, as we talked about before, um, collaborate, uh, figure out reason, fail, test out things and reflect together. Um, and especially the, the failing part and being inclusive and have a friendly you know, attitude towards that, I think it's really important. And we have quite some, interesting experiences with our, our service Grow Planet, which is a learning platform for, for um, um, elementary school, where teachers sometimes are reluctant because it's a gaming platform and, you know, uh, um, but the teachers who are, you know, who just, just let loose and gives this to the students, the students know how to play games much better than the, the teachers, but the teachers they have the facts, they have the knowledge, and they can mentor the journey. So then the, the students also get to feel smart and they could teach the teacher how to play games. <laughs> uh, so it becomes a much more open, you know, um, inclusive uh, uh, kind of environment, which is also key for future. You know, you have to fail, you have to try out things, you have to uh, start all over, over again. So I, th that's a really important thing that school can provide, which is harder to provide with, with, um, yeah, kind of content delivery services, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah. love the fact that you say uh, be allowed to fail, uh, and also teach a teacher. Uh, that is some of the culture we really try to bring to future games. I know some of my colleagues don't like the word fail. But I mean, it's a safe space where you're allowed to explore, you're uh, allowed to push your boundaries. And if you don't succeed, you're not going to lose your job. It's going to, it's not going to cost you anything. So I really love that premise that, okay, you're allowed to to push yourself and make mistakes and you're going to learn from them. So I really and, like that. Yeah, and failing also is, is a great opportunity for learning because then you can stop, reflect, oh, why didn't this work? That's actually where you learn the most isn't it mm -hmm. yeah go on Peter. It, it's funny you guys mentioned the failing and, and i'm sort of reflecting on my experience um with my again he's like a year and a half so he's quite young and it's we expect 
kids that young to fail. And I, somewhere along the line, it seems we lost that. We, you lose that like expectation of because um, the question around around it is how. I mean, he's so little. It's like how much do we let him? How high do we let him fall? <laughs> like <laughs> literally, like will he hit, will he hurt himself badly there or just cry? And it's a, it's like it's a question of of. And then of course you you comfort him when that happens. Uh, you know, you know, just like put him out in the dark to cry. Um, so there's that element of of security, but also that element of of to experience the danger uh, of the situation and and really, as you know, viscerally feel what it's like to take a step that you probably shouldn't have taken. Um, <laughs> and that we, I guess, and for some reason, it's okay when kids are learning to walk, but it's bad when they're learning to read or or uh, do math or even other things. And yeah, so it's it's really important. Just on what you were saying there, it reminds me of, uh, I was actually listening to a, a Jordan Peterson. I don't know if anyone knows him, the, the psychologist. Um, he was he was doing a podcast the other day that I listened to about exactly on that issue you were just saying, Peter, like how you have to let children just like play dangerously, but in a safe manner. And he sort of explained it in a way much better than I ever could. But like how, like you're saying, how high, you know, where do you get to the point it's a tough one to judge but that's where they like you said christian they do the most learning isn't it and because uh, if they make mistakes but then being able to to make mistakes what well, is a really interesting point um ollie just coming back to you then obviously it was your question hearing from the other guests what are your thoughts but, but I, i'm so glad you mentioned uh, failing i mean i i love that word because it it's it's goes together with learning and I also, it's a reminder of, of why why children and, and grown-ups love games and computer games also, because number one, everybody's equal, unless it's like pay-to-win games and nobody likes those games anyway. But you're equal, you have an equal play field and, you, and then you can fail and you can learn. And that's such, such a satisfying experience. So if we can just have the children through school and they come out with confidence and say, hey, it's okay if I try and I, and, I fall, and I fall, but I still love this topic. I'm going to go on, hit my nose bloody until I master it. That's fine. <laughs> so, so that's just, um, that's what we want because you said, Chris, that they're going to have to trust to teach themselves. And that's the simple truth because nobody will have time to hold your hand every single time you need it during your life. That's a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. So thank you, Ollie. Um, but we'll head into our third one, uh, flying through these questions. So uh, let's head over to Krista and uh, let's hear your question, please. Yeah, so uh, teaching adults uh, and at Switch Games, we have people from all over the world, which is really, really exciting. We have people from India, Pakistan, Africa, South America, Norway, Sweden. Uh, that it creates a super cool experience in my book. Uh, the difficult part is with different uh, levels of experience because we have everything from straight from gymnasium, from university to self-taught, 19 years old to 40 plus years old. Uh, and it's a, a nice environment as a teacher, but it creates also a difficulty in adapting the education. So everyone get, gets what they need. Um, so, so my question is, how do we create a red thread between the different levels of education where uh, if you go from uh, like uh, a, a younger education up to upper, uh, upper secondary school to university or to a vocational school, so we can maybe 
take on where the past education left off, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter, let's come to you on that. Uh, this is funny you asked me first because this was by far the question I had the most trouble with. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I thought it was very difficult uh, and I, I thought quite a bit about it. And I find myself thinking about uh, what I mentioned before because I looked into it a bit was like Montessori schools and how they they mix groups. So uh, more traditional school systems, you have everyone in the same class and they're all working on the same curriculum, but some people move faster and some people move slower. But, you know, the, the faster kids tend to just have to wait a lot or kind of be bored. And the slower kids uh, get a lot of attention, which they should get. Um, but I thought maybe if you if there was more um, intermingling and this is what happens more in like a work environment, if you're, say, a junior, you will work with people who've done it for 20, 30, 40 years. It's your fir first year in like 40 years and you have everyone working together for the same purpose. And I have to wonder if that sort of model is maybe more uh, would pull these sort of different levels together more. I, I know. Uh, for me, I'm not particularly, I wasn't particularly technical, but I've learned a lot about technical stuff from working with really brilliant programmers and network engineers and that kind of thing. And it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't something that like was mandated and pathed and outlined. It was, hey, we need to get this done. Here's what I can do. How can I help you? And they would like introduce me to things that were at my level and I could help them with. Uh, and over the time, I got better and better just by us trying to solve problems together. And I, I have to wonder if maybe that is maybe a better model than this is your curriculum, you're all together, you all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, of course, that would be a radical change in the way like educational systems work. So maybe maybe like introduce it slowly and in pieces. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christian, let's come to you. Yeah. This is a tricky one because I think one of them, I mean, depending on or independently of, of levels of education, if it's preschool or um, upper secondary school or, um, you know, any kind of target group or, or segment, I think has this challenge of um, balancing and it's like it's actually like you know designing games <laughs> you have to design it so it works for for everyone you have to find a sweet spot or the flow you know so um this is really this is a really tough one and i know teachers out there are struggling with this because how can you match i mean as schools if we go to look at schools now we, it, they they, uh, they work like this and have been doing so for for centuries that you have a big group of students 25 and they have so different levels uh, they are at so different levels so that's that's the toughest challenge uh, um, as a teacher to 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 make that work actually and for students as well i mean the quicker one they get anxious and frustrated because they want to move faster and the slower ones uh, for other reasons and you have the, the kind of big chunk in the middle um so uh uh i don't have the answer <laughs> but i think uh, uh we might you know again if we become a bit more if we turn things upside down for a bit and uh, uh teachers who for instance let students take lead 
the, the more advanced students take leads and teach other students. So you try to kind you kind of decentralize teaching in a way. And this sounds horrible because it's, we're not supposed to do that like full time, but in in pieces or bits and pieces, I think that that can work really well because also you learn from learning uh, or teaching others. Uh, um, and and you actually learn speaking about soft skills, you learn how to mentor, you learn how to to to, uh, to learn from others as well. So I think there's a nice there's a nice uh, upside um, of of uh, letting more advanced students teach less advanced students. Uh, yeah. But then again, I think um, maybe finding finding the balance there between challenge them even more challenging them even more and also um uh, I, especially in the nordics it's kind of not okay <laughs> to have that kind of quick development or because everyone is supposed to be on the more more or less the same level i'm of the opinion that you should let the quicker ones just go bananas you know uh, <laughs> and challenge them as much as you can but still keep them in the kind of social context by, for, for example, helping out, uh, helping the others or, or mentoring. Stuff. So it's a super tricky question. I think actually it's, uh, this sounds super uh, serious and dramatic, but I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of the big challenges for, for the future, how to, if we, if we aim to keep like, Democracy is working <laughs> because it comes from from school and up to to everyone should be be part of the the big play, right? And yeah, um, um, yeah. Let you just have to stop me there because I'm going dystopian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, a, it's a really good uh, it's a really good answer. It's, uh, I love the detail in it. Um, Ollie, let's come to you and hear your thoughts on uh, Krista's question. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think in in schools and in companies, maybe the one of the root problem is that that we only value result, and and but the truth is that uh, as a parent, for example, you look at your kid and you you look at the effort and you reward that if they really try hard, you reward it. You look at the attitude. You also like reward that because they got the spirit and they're really trying hard. They're not succeeding so much, but it's kind of okay because they put in the effort and you know sooner or later they will succeed with the result. And then then you have the, the, the result and as a number four, you actually have individual progress. So the problem with school is you put everybody into or into the same, they have to fit one size and then you measure it against this one yardstick like can you do this equation or can you not do this equation? And you're not getting rewarded for having a super progress from your last year and you're not getting rewarded for your effort so much or for your attitude. But but so if we can kind of broaden up the how we put value to ourselves in an acad academic situation and in a work and family situation, then it becomes more easy. Then, then everybody can share the value and, and be meaningful to each other in another way. That I, I'd love to see that. But it's super hard to give somebody grades and you know attitude. Then it becomes personal on a level that we don't like, at least not in Germany. <laughs> like, but but that's what's going on anyway between the lines. So um, th th those are the if you look at a company when you grow up and they have to reduce their staff. I mean, who's who's gonna stay? 
you're going to keep those who put in the effort, those who have the attitude, even if they have mediocre results, because you don't want the guy that's doing super result or the girl, if they kind of uh, not show up every other day or, or you know, mm. don't do, do the basics. So, so we are telling the children results counts, but they don't really, there's more to it than that. That's um, just to go off again on another podcast that I listened to. I'd seen something um, that was talking about the the Navy SEALs, like how they pick who they want on the team. And it was a diagram, basically, like one axis was trust and one was performance. And like, obviously, they split it into quadrants and said you'd want everyone thinks you want the person that's high trust and high performance, but that person doesn't exist. So the the ideal that they'd look for, the second idea was more trust than performance, which is where I think you were saying like the attitude is more important than the actual performance, like where you were saying about keeping people at a company there. And it is a massive point. Um, and it, it, it sort of just resonated with me straight away. As soon as you said it, I thought that reminds me of something and it sort of clicked in my head. So uh, it's interesting that. Krista, we'll come back to you, um, you know, get your thoughts on everyone's uh, opinions there. Obviously, it was your question. Yeah, uh, uh, thank you for all your answers. Uh, and I, I really agree uh, also that we need to stop focusing on results because every step you take, small or big, is a step forward. So that it should really be the be the key and I also love like uh, students teaching students uh, uh, that is something I try to introduce to to my classes uh, at future games all the time and for some it comes natural like uh, uh, just to name drop uh, two of my students like Ewan Brown and David uh, Nosbed uh, very experienced before they come came to future games uh, and they enjoy teaching and they do that gladly but mm-hmm. what, what I'm trying to do is also get those who are not as experienced to also try teaching because for me teaching isn't about like actually teaching uh, especially as a student it's about you stepping out of your comfort zone talking about something you know so uh, for me as a teacher the reason why i teach sometimes is because i learn so much uh, and uh, therefore i think that a lot of students should try even though it's really, really scary, uh, I think that just brings so much. It helps you progress uh, so nicely. So, so I yeah. really think that's a, a good way of doing it. Go on, Peter. Before we move on, yeah, I wanted to try to bring it back a bit to like the tech specifically because this is such a broad topic. We we find our, we can often just tackle education and not like the tech in the education. Um, everything like we talked about, I think the tech actually gives a lot of good tools to help us like accomplish the goals that everyone's talking about, like adaptive engines and the ability to present problems that are like sort of custom tailored for a a group or a team or an individual that will sort of hit their, their level of knowledge and understanding in there and sort of really push them to cooperate in meaningful ways. And uh, tech can be particularly good at sort of engineering those kinds of problems and situations. Uh, in a way that really saves a lot of time and, and removes like burdens from teachers and parents because to do super custom uh, uh, like problem generations for every possible combination of 20 kids in your classroom is some ludicrously high number that no per- human being would ever have the time to personally uh, create. So if you can use, uh, there are tools though that may help uh, teachers be able to sort of generate these problems for that really like hit the sweet spot for 
the various levels of uh, skills and knowledge in a group or uh, or an individual. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for uh, contributing that as well um, to Krista's questions because it was a very good question. So we're on to our fourth one now, and um, it's going to come from you, Peter. And I remember the first time that we spoke, I remember you said, actually, you always have a habit of like providing the contradictory opinion to what people say, because I remember we were talking about VR. So um, if I put all these questions on the list without your names on, I knew this one would be yours. <laughs> so go on, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, my question is about like some of the potential pitfalls of technology and like how if we understand those pitfalls, maybe we can avoid them. Um, uh, a big one for me is it's hard to resist the urge to gamify everything. And that can actually cause lots of problems. There's uh, quite a body of research now about uh, reward and motivation systems. And what we really want to do uh, in, in education and tech is foster the very powerful intrinsic motivations uh, in kids and all of us really to learn new skills to, to I want to do this thing and in order to get to that uh, end point I need to learn you know I want to be able to play Beethoven so I need to learn my scales but I don't really want to learn my scales it's a little boring but I really want to play Beethoven so I will I will take that path through there um, in order to get to the my end goal uh, real quick, I, I know a young girl, a friend, a child of a friend of mine, she learned to read or write before, I think, before kindergarten, uh, before like a U.S. kindergarten, so four, three or four, because she loved watching like music videos on YouTube so much that she wanted to be able to find the one she wanted to find. In order to do that, she needs to learn to like read and type. Uh, like, you know, you can't you can't use YouTube unless you can read. And and you can't find things unless you can like type them. So she more or less learned before school to read and, and type in a <laughs> read and write in a to a surprisingly advanced level because her intrinsic motivation was so powerful. And there's uh, yeah, so there's lots of research that when you take uh, an intrinsic motivation and you apply an extrinsic motivator on top of it, you can actually crowd out and ruin the intrinsic motivation. To the point where it's it's gone. There, there's the, there's a few examples. The classic example is um, if you have a kid who loves reading, and you say, "Hey, if you, for every book you read, I'll give you money," you actually they would read less. They would choose like books that weren't challenging for them. They would like they'll they would essentially game the system, and they would say, "Pick really easy books that they could answer read quickly and get paid." And then if you remove the reward, be like, "Oh, this isn't working," and you remove the reward. You might find that oh they don't want to read anymore at all you've actually actively ruined that <laughs> and <laughs> the temptation to look to video games which where i come from um for these extrinsic because they're like especially mobile games are very good at these sort of skinner box extrinsic motivational systems the temptation there is incredible to try to use those but yeah i think it would have the opposite effect that than intended no, it is a really interesting question because, uh, like, you people always you say how how powerful tech is, how good it is, what it can do, um, all the amazing things. But then just to think on the flip side, like, what are the pitfalls? Um, I'd be really interested to hear, you know, some of you guys' opinions of what what you would consider they are. So, um, Christian, let's come to you first on that then. Yeah, I think. Um it's it's really easy to fall back on you know a simple reward system and short-term 
wins in that sense. So I think this is uh, this is a really interesting question. Um, going back to, I mean, if you look at teaching and learning in school, I think uh, teachers, a really good teacher is the one who spends some time getting to know each student and f finds some kind of you know passion for each student. And then you you go into the learning designer role, uh, which I think uh, uh, the best teachers they are they are kind of learning designers, where they kind of find exactly what you talked about designing a learning path. Okay, um, she's interested in football. He's interested in in music, etc. Or what what have you, and then you try to design the learning path towards that goal or bring that in. And it, uh, of course, it's really time consuming and it's hard to bring in all those. Let's say you have 25 different passions in the classroom. So 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 it's hard to to achieve that. But the ones who aim for it and uh, and uh, and succeeds in some extent uh, uh, are, are the are the you know, very successful in, in this in this um, aspect. And I also think that if you have um, uh, if you bring in real life into education, it doesn't have to be your passion per se, because you can't bring in football into everything, let's say. Well, maybe you can, I don't know. But uh, uh, if you can't, uh, at least bring in real life. So let's not do the, you know, the, the John and Lisa are buying, they have uh, $20, how many ice creams? So let's let's do something else. Let's do something more uh, relevant and real life-like, um, which will increase motivation and, and learning, uh, well, the passion of learning, basically. And put things in a perspective. What's this little piece doing for the whole picture? Um, I love the story that you told us about, you know, a person who learns reading for a big, you know, purpose or goal. Um, she really liked the sound of music. She really likes that. Was, I want to listen to the sound of music. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that. And this is hard. I know this is really hard. And again, technology, I think, can support this. And <laughs> also, it sounds scary talking about big data, but somehow I think if we use technology right and technology could help us or the, the the learner to 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 get presented learning situations and contexts that mean something to you uh, and individualize personalize that that that's uh, that would be really helpful but then learn then then we talk about something different than gamification and the short-term wins uh, i think uh, and hopefully in five years we're going to have amazing tools for this uh, i don't know but um, or two years maybe i don't know yeah Ollie, let's come to you on that then. Um, but yes, I think you're right, both of you. It's like uh, there's so many distractors, and uh, in mobile games is a good example. And I can feel bad sometimes when I think how many people spend, how many hours are spent every day in in rearranging colored pixels and not helping other people <laughs> or doing something but but also there's nothing wrong with that there's a need to to pluck yourself out from the world and i guess some casual gaming is is part of that but but the way the problem is that the way the reward systems are made they they kind of drag you into 
overuse maybe um, for some purpose. Um, but you can't beat a passion. I mean, if kids have a passion for something, just feed it. Like, and that's what tech can do, like, because it's available whenever you want it, like, just like YouTube, it's a wonderful story. Like, so, so that's tech can be available much more than any parent and that can feed that passion. And then they build on to the next step of that, whatever that is. And then they build on to the next step because learning is like, I think if you have experienced going into something you really like and you get knowledge and you get this satisfaction of mastering or knowing something about a subject, you won't stop. I mean, it's just a question of time, then you will fall over something else and you'll rinse and repeat and do that. You really fall in love with the process, but it has to happen the first time. <laughs> Christian, yeah, let's come uh, to you. Oh, sorry, go on, go on, Christian. Uh, sorry, no, I was just um, was thinking about the, the, the fact that technology can also bring people together around this passion. I mean, this is nothing new, but uh, if we if we could also uh, um, kind of take advantage of, of the power of community and being part of of something um, where we all have the same passion or interest, uh, that that's really powerful. And technology could be a big help, uh, obviously. Krista, hmm. let's come to you. Yeah, uh, I think as educators, we, we can use technology uh, in, in kind of two ways. Uh, we can have an agenda, you should get X out of Y. Uh, we could use uh, technology to, okay, we're going to teach you this specifically. But you need to have guidance and, and mentorship during that process. Uh, but my favorite part of, of technology at all is using it as a tool of inspiration. Uh, like Ole was uh, uh, talking about as well, like finding the passion. Um, I know, for instance, at Future Games, even though we work mainly trying to teach what's relevant for the industry, uh, we shouldn't disregard teaching something out of passion that can inspire people. Like when VR was kind of getting into it, but the industry weren't really ready to use it. Uh, I know that we had a VR project. And even though, I mean, that wasn't necessarily what the industry needed, it brought the students together, exploring, you know, inspiring them, motivating them. Uh, and it, sure, it made, made them smarter as well. They, they learned a lot of stuff. So I, I think uh, either we use it as, okay, you need to learn this or as a, an inspiration. But we, in both fields, you kind of need to be there with them uh, and, and guide them and mentor them and make sure they kind of stay on, on, on track. Uh, sometimes you need to lean back a bit sometimes you need to be more involved uh, but for me that that is the strength of tech and and as soon as we stop being there let them they may explore on themselves sometimes that works out sometimes that's chaos uh, because you you need to as a, a student also kind of uh, step back from time to time and okay i can't spend all my time doing this so i think anything without an agenda could potentially be in the long term kind of bad. Yeah, yeah. Come on then, Peter, let's go back to you as it was uh, your initial question and last question of the day. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts after hearing the other guests there. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we like it's as any tool, it can be used for good and it can be used for ill. And it's like uh, it's incumbent upon us to use it for the for the right purpose. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And 
I like uh, I, I think too. There's like so YouTube is an example. Like a lot of this stuff, you kind of get out of it what you put into it. So you can spend all day on YouTube watching um, toy unboxing videos, and that's a very like uh, dopamine-driven basic reward system. <laughs> or uh, for me, I learned. I've learned an incredible number of skills from just watching YouTube videos. Uh, learned lots about programming, how to use game engines, how to uh, bake bread, uh, how to cook, like all, a lot of cooking. Like I've learned a lot about how to cook all kinds of food. And YouTube is an incredible, incredible source for that. And, you know, because I put in that sort of effort to it, I get back out. So the it, tech really, I think tech really reflects what you want out of it in a lot of ways and that could be good or bad and we should really try to channel reflecting like the good that comes out of it rather than yeah. bad. Go on, Krista. Yeah, talking about YouTube and things like that, I also think like uh, YouTube is a great source of, of knowledge and inspiration, uh, but that brings me into uh, question everything. Uh, you know, we have a lot of industry people coming, teaching our students how to program or how to make games, uh, but that's one person with one set of experience or one skill. Uh, another programmer might say this instead. So we should also kind of not go in blindly trusting every piece of information we see. We should kind of have the guts to to uh, not trust them. I mean, we of course we should treat them nicely and, and you know professionally. But uh, underneath it all, we, we have to dare to question that. Like, is this the only way to do things? Or is this the correct way of doing things? Because especially in game development, you know, there, there's a hundred solutions to a problem. Uh, and we should explore them all, not just trust blindly, like, okay, this person that I admire says this. Yeah, yeah. Christian? Yeah, and also adding, obviously, the, the pitfalls or, you know, be, critical thinking basically especially in lower ages because now you go on TikTok uh, pretty early and you have to understand how that works how they work with algorithms uh, and so even a nine-year-old has to, to to be able to think critically in, in certain ways that we didn't have to when we were nine so um and, and going back to school i always go back to school that's also a big responsibility that probably no one else will learn or teach kids uh, the fact that that you know uh, information is not free and your personal behavior is is an asset that we as a company can sell and all that so so uh, that's also what 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 uh, public and private schools should provide uh, education in the field of what are the the you know the, the dark sides of education as well. Yeah, yeah. Peter, did you want to say one last thing before we wrap up? Yeah, I just, uh, I think um, that's a very good points. And this goes back to sort of Ulu's question about what 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 um, does learning subjects in school mean? And it's, so I, I came at YouTube as, uh, you know, I was older. I was a little more sophisticated in like my understanding of, okay, I should watch multiple videos, sort of make my own judgment about which one I should like or how to combine them. And that's something that comes with experience and age. Um, and if maybe I was eight and I had looked for those things, I probably wouldn't have that sort of like eye towards, okay, how do I use this tool that is YouTube? Uh, and that's probably where like school really would come in. It's, it's more about how you use these tools and less about the information in them. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's been a, a really uh, interesting podcast. I mean, a lot of the questions have uh, uncovered a lot of good discussion. Uh, thank you all very much for, for submitting your questions and being really uh, interactive with it. Um, but we'll uh, we'll leave it there for today as that's all four questions. So uh, I'd like to say a big thank you to uh, Peter, Christian, Ollie and Krista for all being part of it today and uh, for taking part and asking and answering each other's questions. I hope you uh, listeners have enjoyed it. Uh, if you'd like to get on the podcast yourself, uh, please feel re uh, free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. But we'll see you next time.